everyone. Welcome to the next level. I'm JBL. I'm here with my best friends, Sarah Longwell and Tim Miller. This is the last episode that we're going to let people who haven't joined Bulwark Plus listen to. So if you are enjoying the show and having a good time listening to it, this would be the moment to go and join Bulwark Plus. You can do it by just going to thebulwark.com and clicking on the little button. Uh, we're going to be slowly winching back uh, all of our premium features for members Uh the end of this week, Charlie Sykes's excellent Morning Shots newsletter is going to, at the end of the week, go away and only be for Bulwark Plus members, uh, and that will be followed in shortly by by the disappearance of this show and my newsletter. Uh, anyway, Sarah, Tim, would you like to to offer anything as further inducement to people? Well, I've been considering an OnlyFans. Um, but I've been getting some pretty negative feedback from that um, around Isn't the office. So porn? It's it's I don't I don't know if it's called porn. It's maybe soft porn. Maybe not what are you guys? Soft. What are you talking about? I didn't even understand the words you said. Oh, OnlyFans? You don't know about OnlyFans? What's that? Uh, it's I how don't know. it's how um, hot hotties monetize hotties with bodies monetize their bodies, um, and they basically have kind of a sexy Instagram page. Uh, I, I don't actually know the details. I've never oh, been on OnlyFans, but my understanding, can it also be porn? I don't know. But at, at minimum, there's also people who have kind of a sexy Instagram page and you pay a couple bucks. And then, you know, I think they maybe do some uh, some Q&As. I don't, I, I, I don't actually know what it is. <laughs> like, I, oh, I don't know. Somebody just told me. Someone told me about this. I, I'm just repeating what the I heard. The gays are into OnlyFans. I just oh, haven't yeah, perused it myself, you know? Sure. I hope that there's a lesbian version of this, uh, which just like Jennifer Beals. Like, uh, or wood chopping. It's like yeah. women, <laughs> women chopping trees down. Nobody is worse about lesbians than gay men. Like literally your stereotypes are so horrible. And no, they would just be like softball coaches giving pitching tips, you know, things like that. <laughs> Okay, okay, that's uh, pretty good. Uh, so Bullard Plus, you should sign up. Um, I think it's going to be great. Um, uh, and uh, this will be a tease, this this awesome episode you're about to hear where Sarah talks about her focus groups. But first, uh, I need to, I, you know, I, I had this period of, of evil in my life um, as an opposition research uh, maven, and I've, I'm finally using the evil for good um, over the past year here at the Bulwark by, by learning about these fake scandals that the Republicans are trying to tag uh, Joe Biden with um, so that you don't have to. And there have been so many of them in the last 24 hours. So I'm just going to do a quick run through and then, you know, we can kibitz. Um, the first, which Bill Crystal wrote about this morning, took off my plate, is the craziest. Um, and that was uh, it, it also seems to be the one that they're pushing the most happy. Ha haphazardly uh, only two retweets from the president of the united states on this but the theory and jbl chime in on this and i think you edited the article um as far as i understand it is that um uh the, the seal team six killed a osama bin laden body double as part of a plot um that obama uh between obama and iran and secret muslim john brennan um uh, uh that was part of the uh, payments uh on the on the pallets that went to iran and so they killed the osama bin laden body double but some of the seal team six guys were in on it and so then the iranians had members of seal team six killed 
um, subsequently uh, in Afghanistan. Does that sound about right? As part of a blood sacrifice, I believe. A blood libel or a blood sacrifice? No, I believe as a blood sacrifice. I believe there is a uh, performative aspect to the killings. And so it was all part. Now, it should be said, there are members of SEAL Team 6 alive right now and tweeting, one of whom is a big fan of the president and who insists that he's the person who actually killed Osama bin Laden. He seems to be a little bit nonplussed by this. But, you know, this is MAGA world. It contains multitudes. You can you can have the president saying that Barack Obama had SEAL Team 6 murdered and that the SEAL Team 6 people were a bunch of traitors who were only fake killing Osama bin Laden. And you can be the guy on SEAL Team 6 who, who killed, uh, who Osama, killed Osama, Osama bin Laden and still love Donald Trump. Somehow, none of these things are intention. I don't understand it. It seems like it's a window into a certain type of mind, though. No. Yeah, well, and you would think, I, I mean, just before we get into the two more substantive um, conspiracies, um, you would think that also the president um, positing this blood libel, um, or I'm sorry, blood sacrifice, um, you know, working with the Iranians and secret Muslim John Brennan um, to, to cover up the fact that Osama bin Laden is still alive and then to murder our own soldiers with Biden's approval. I, I, you would think that accusation, I don't know, might have made the news this morning. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that's that's kind of the thing for me is that this um you know the president just gets carte blanche to do this i mean honestly he sends so many tweets he sent i think like 80 tweets yesterday um uh christian friend of the friend of the bulwark christian vanderbrook like looked at this retweet i think close I, I, had christian not looked at it i think it's possible that nobody would have even noticed that this happened i mean that 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 is the level of crazy town we're in and Besides Jake Tapper, who God bless him, has been has been monitoring this closely. I, I've I've seen almost no mainstream media coverage of this. So and this is kind my, of the advantage that Trump has. My buddy, the comedian and actor Larry Miller, used to to say that this is this is the Tom Hanks Mickey Rourke dichotomy, right? You're Tom Hanks, and you go out one night to a bar and you get loaded and you punch somebody out, and it's the biggest story in the world. Right. I mean, it's you lead all the papers. The New York Times has the mugshot, you know, American icon Tom Hanks arrested in bar fight, blah, 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 blah. If you're Mickey Rourke and you go out to a bar and get loaded and you punch somebody's lights out, it's just Tuesday. Right. Nobody even pays attention. That's just what Mickey Rourke does. The Rodman effect. Phil Jackson talked about this. Dennis Rodman also had this. Uh, Yeah. And this is where we are with the president of the United States. And yet, there are people in conservative Inc. who say that the real danger is that Joe Biden forgot Mitt Romney's name for a minute. And that shows that he is mentally unfit to be president. Sarah, Sarah, before I get into any of the details on the more substantive conspiracies, thoughts on the blood libel and the Osama bin Laden body double? Uh, The only thing I would say, and I'll get into the focus groups more later, but we do, we have a problem in this country that is like going to extend beyond Donald Trump is like genuinely not funny. I was doing a focus group the other night and a woman uh, who kept talking about how she reads all the media and she, you know, she's very well informed and she checks out all the, you know, the, the, what is she, alternative media. Uh, And she said, when I asked the question about Trump, what did she think about Trump contracting COVID? She said, well, look, you know, the fact is uh, at the debate, the Democrats gave it to him. 
Uh, and I'm not, and, and, and I, she's like, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's definite. I'm just saying that I was listening to some very well-informed people and that they said that it was given to Donald Trump on purpose. And I said to her, could you tell me what alternative media? And she was like, well, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's very smart. Alex Jones over at InfoWars. Mm -hmm. And this is a person who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and reads him as doing a very bad job. Now, it's probably he's doing a very bad job because he hasn't built the wall and he listens too much to those rhinos in Congress. But um, I'm just saying this is not we laugh and it's because it's preposterous. But like we have a problem in this country with conspiracy theories, not the least of which is our president is a. A uh, progenitor well, of them. Yeah, and this is a good transition. I wrote about this a bit, um, which you would know if you'd read it. Um, uh, I just read it. My, and the <laughs> Trump's great unmasking hoax is finally dead uh, this morning. Uh, many, I'm sure, listeners are familiar because you've heard Rand Paul talk about it so much, this unmasking. those The shorthand of this scandal is that um, when uh, so-called scandal uh, is that during the transition, when tr President Trump's national security advisor, Michael Flynn, was on the payroll of one uh, foreign despot uh, uh, Erdogan of Turkey and was also having a lot of very strange back channel conversations with another despot who had just attacked our elections through a cyber attack in Russia um, uh, that this was, uh, you know, a matter of interest for our national security services. Um, who was this person that keeps having these back channel conversations with the Russia ambassador right after Russia just attacked, uh, uh, had just committed, a, perpetrated a cyber attack on our elections. Uh, and so um, as you know, this is where, you know, you got to have Carrie Cordero or somebody on here, but uh, as, as I think is pretty standard ops uh, within our security services, when there are these, you know, sort of, um, uh, uh, dispatches that get sent around, um, if you want to see, you know, learn more about, you know, who, who in these anonymized kind of intelligence reports, who's, who is in these anonymized intelligence reports, you can, you can have them unmasked. And so the whole scandal that the Trump, um, uh, world was, was pushing all this time is that this was improper, that the people knew that the people that were being unmasked were associates of the president, uh, and that they were doing it, uh, as part of their coup, attempt um, to take out the president um, and uh, uh, to to improperly pin the Russia investigation on him now or, or the Russia um, uh, attack on our elections on him now there are a couple of main problems with this um, you know the first one uh, is you know that unmasking that you know they're like umpteen thousand unmaskings a year this is not actually you know a big deal and there's uh, you know a process in place for uh, 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 determining when it's appropriate when it's not to unmask these anonymized uh, Intel uh, dispatches uh, and secondly the fact that um, you know if the president's uh, orbit was not having all these conversations uh, with the country that are just attacked our elections they, they wouldn't have shown up in any Intel reports um, so uh, Bill Barr, um, you know, did his best in fan service to try to find something improper about this. He did it, uh, quietly stopped the probe yesterday. The Washington Post found out about that and reported it. Um, there will end up being no charges, no indictments, uh, in this unmasking. Wait a minute, um, Tim, I got to interrupt you here. Yeah. Bill Barr didn't hold a press conference to announce that the, the findings of the probe and to, before the probe's report was released to inform the American public what they should think about it? He did not. Because I thought he, that was standard operating procedure for the attorney general. 
Yeah, he did not do that. And so, oh, uh, yeah, oh, I know. you that only is... do that when it's the okay. That okay. is, I'm yeah, sorry. that is that is strange, isn't it? Um, but you know, th- here's the thing to get, to get back to Sarah's point about the problem in our country, and it's not just a bot. This is you know not just a bottom up thing. It's a top down thing. Because I just want to read to you, which I put in this article, what some it, not just and it's not just our crazy president. What some of our um, esteemed senators said about this. Uh, Ted Cruz said that the unmasking was an, a part of an unprecedented spying campaign on a uh, incoming president. Rand Paul uh, said that this was an example of illegal spying, possibly treason. Uh, John Cornyn said that these routine actions were somehow, quote, bigger than Watergate. So, you know, for, for a year now, for more, for three years now, the, the conservative media and um, uh, Republican senators, the president himself, have been claiming, based on um, you know the uh, 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 surveillance of Carter Page, uh, and based on you know this supposed unmasking scandal, that that Joe Biden um, and and Barack Obama were spying on the president and committed a treason against our country in, in, in the greatest scandal of all time. And the hack attorney general who was charged with looking into this just said, actually nothing happened. And and we just move on. This does have consequences, right? I mean, Sarah, like if you, if you are continually told that the other side is committing a treason is illegally spying on you is in bed with the Iranians, uh, uh, eventually the voters are going to believe you. And they want, they're going to demand that you treat the other side like you would want somebody that committed a treason and is in bed with the Iranians and is covering up Osama bin Laden, uh, uh, mur- you know, non-Osama bin Laden murders. Um, you, you expect them to be treated like you would treat somebody who did that, which is very badly. Yeah, like maybe they would go into arenas and fill them up and chant, lock her up. Uh, I mean, it, no, it, it is. Um, and, and I just when I listen to oh, so many of these voters and at this point, you know, I've done 50 of these focus groups and you can just see how it creeps in. I mean, last night I was going to get to this on my section, but like I asked people if they would take a vaccine if one became made available and like nobody would. Like there was like one person who was like, yeah, and you know, and there, and there's, there's nothing wrong with people sort of saying like, well, I'm not going to go first. But there was like whether it was because people felt like it had been politicized by Donald Trump, so they didn't trust him, or they didn't trust vaccines in general, as one woman said. You know, she said, I don't get vaccines, I don't like them. They made me take one while I was pregnant, but I didn't want to have one. I mean, we just we are we are um, a first world country. Uh, where our voters are just more and more getting, I mean, the number of like even QAnon, like um, curious people you sort of start to hear. And fr- let's, and let's be real. There are multiple QAnon candidates that are up for Congress. And one of them's probably going to win. Uh, I mean, it is um, more, than, more than one. And and Jay- at least one's going to win. Yeah. Yeah. And to JBL, and this is, I know our hobby horse, but, but you know, the point I was trying to make in this article is, is, uh, you know, there's this fantasy that if Trump is defeated, if Trump is, even if he's defeated overwhelmingly, that maybe things can go back to some kind of normal, that maybe Joe Biden can work with some reasonable Republican senators and blah, blah, blah. How, how can the senators uh, 
who have spent four years claiming that Joe Biden was behind the greatest scandal since Watergate, that the, uh, uh, the that have been claiming Joe Biden committed a treason, have been claiming Joe Biden that tried to coup the president. Uh, how do you think the, their voters, their constituents, are going to react if they say, okay, yeah, water under the bridge. Let's go back to the Tip O'Neill and Ronnie Reagan having a beer after work. Well, the... If I wanted to give you an optimistic answer, the optimistic answer is that, of course, Ted Cruz and Rand Paul never believed any of this stuff. They're just saying, but you know, they never believed it any more than they believed Donald Trump was dangerous or any of the other things they say. They just say things. They're they're political actors looking to maximize voting for themselves. And uh, the optimistic answer is that we are witnessing a shift in which the Republican Party nationally is going to become a semi-permanent rump and that their their ceiling is going to be 40, 42% of the vote, meaning that if Democrats are smart, they can craft, again, a semi-permanent majority, not, not permanent as in like for forever, but until the coalitions shift again. And at this point- Is this a JV body double? Well, I, I'm not saying I believe where it. The, where is the original Obama JBL right now? I'm just saying that the there is a a vicious virtuous cycle to that, which is that as the Republicans become crazier, then the marginal soft Republicans peel off, and what's left is more QAnon, and so they double down. And so, in the same way that you see in minority party state in states where the Republicans are a permanent minority party, like New York and California. Those are the craziest Republicans in the country because they have no responsibility for anything. And they feel like they're besieged on all sides and they're just insane people, right? They are, you would think like, oh, well, those would be the most moderate Republicans because they're surrounded by, by Dems. And, and that is not the way it works. They're much, much crazier than Republicans from, you know, uh, North Carolina or, you know, a, a normal swing state. So that would be the um, I don't think it's going to work out that way. But uh, you I tell love me your optimism. I love your optimism. No, I, I don't think so. I, I think that this is that we're going to continue to circle the drain and that, that in order to feed this beast that's been fed these insane conspiracies about how evil their opposition is, uh, that they're going to have to come up with more and more and more insane conspiracy theories. And that's why, you know, the, the these voters and, and the audience of conservative media will be told that the Biden administration is really Elon Omar in disguise. And that's why they won't tell them that actually Joe Biden is going to, you know, make well, his no, chief I... of staff like a DLC centrist and that the, the, the so-called scandals of the Biden administration will be very, you know, kind of minor standard, you know, operating scandals. No, I'm sorry. I agree with that. That is what will happen. But oh, that the, the support level nationally for that is going to be capped at like 40 or 42 percent. Meaning which that is, which might be enough to keep the Senate, though, which might um, be enough to keep the Senate, but or to keep it close or to keep it close for four out of every six years or something like that. Right. I mean, depending on the cycles. Um, OK, La- but there's three crazy scandals going on. I need to hit the last one um, before I pass. It well, off. hold on, Sarah. Um, Sarah yeah. looks like she had something to say. Oh, sorry. And we're just we're just talking over her left and right. Is that true? Uh, no, I want you to get to the third thing because I want to get to my thing. So I'm like waiting because I've got like a barrage of stuff to add to this particular um, point. The only thing I was just going to say uh, to disagree with you just on that very last thing about the Senate, which is 
don't act like these voters are static, right? I mean, the fact is generational shifts will change some of this. And and so one of the things that I see happening in the focus groups is that the people who are susceptible, most susceptible to the conspiracy theories tend to be older people who uh, are not native to the internet. And so they are not nearly as discerning about what is real and what is not. Um, and I think that uh, it is possible that this problem can get better over time as people who are more native to the internet uh, and more discerning have uh, better ability to filter what is true from what is not. Okay. As a counter to that, I want to put a pin in this, but let's let's host a TPUSA focus group for after the election and see what see if you still feel that way after you spend some time with some 19-year-olds um, who've been listening to Charlie Kirk for the last four years. Um, but we'll put a hold on that. And I want to get to the biggest news of the morning. I don't know why it took us 30 minutes to get here, but the New York Post is reporting uh, that they've been, uh, that they have received a hard drive um, from a computer store repair shop owner in Delaware uh, who somehow got, you know, copied Hunter Biden's hard drive and then gave it to Rudy Giuliani. Um, A lot of a lot of coincidences in this story, I have to, I have to say. But I, I first, for, for listeners who did not follow Burisma that closely, I just I just want to really quick explain the specifics of what happened in this supposed Hunter Biden scandal, so that you can understand it and and, and discuss it with your aunt on Facebook. Uh, uh, it's, essentially, it goes as this: there's a, uh, a corrupt oligarch, uh, Zlochevsky. Uh, in Ukraine, who owns a company called Burisma, a natural gas company. He hired Hunter Biden uh, to try to, you know, help him with various things, probably shady. Hunter Biden is probably being shady. That's okay to acknowledge. Uh, Zlochevsky um, was not, this is the key point, not being investigated by the Ukrainian prosecutor. He and several other corrupt oligarchs in Ukraine um, were uh, uh, basically, under scrutiny from the entire international community. This was during a period where Ukraine is trying to normalize relations with the rest of Western Europe, uh, uh, the EU, uh, many of these other uh, international organizations were demanding that for Ukraine uh, relations to normalize, they needed to clean up their business. They needed to start it. They needed to put in a prosecutor who would actually investigate the corrupt oligarchs. And so uh, Joe Biden, who is in the in the Obama administration at the time, was part of that advocacy. So what we have here is a corrupt prosecutor in Ukraine who like stole diamonds and all all kinds of other crazy shit. Uh, not investigating Hunter Biden's client. Joe Biden gives gives a speech where he says we need to get rid of this prosecutor so that we can replace him with a prosecutor that investigates o- corrupt oligarchs like my son's cl- client more. That's what Joe Biden wanted. Joe Biden was joining with the international community to push for increased um, uh, 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 corruption fighting against um, corrupt oligarchs in Eastern in Eastern Europe. That's what he was advocating for. Um, the 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 MAGA world completely ignores this central fact. If you look at today's New York Post article, it starts with the basis that Joe Biden was trying to get rid of a prosecutor who was investigating Hunter Biden's client. Wrong. He was not investigating him. That there were very there were many people. If you look at contemporary sources who were who were saying this at the same time, uh, there were many people who were alive at this time who felt that way, including. Republican senators who wrote a letter that said that this prosecutor uh, should be removed for not investigating corruption. So so the whole thing is premised on nonsense. 
And now what we have today is this claim that a, 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 uh, computer store repair shop owner gave a copy of Hunter Biden's hard drive to Rudy Giuliani. How did he get in touch with Rudy? Hard to say. New York Post didn't look into that. Maybe they went to Bishop Laughlin High School together and it's just a big coincidence. Unclear. Maybe they met each other at the bar. We don't know. But somehow Rudy Giuliani got a Delaware repair shop, uh, a Delaware repair store's um, uh, a computer that Hunter Biden dropped off and never picked up, apparently. Uh, he, he, he gave it to, he gave it to Rudy Giuliani. Rudy had this, the story says that, that, that he's had it since December of last year. So you might know that Ron Johnson looked into the Burisma scandal, found nothing. Um, you might remember that Rudy's been talking to any media that will text him over the last year. For some reason, he hasn't mentioned this, that he had this secret hard drive that he was given to by a repair shop owner in Delaware, um, for over a year, but the New York post didn't look into that. And so uh, what they have is on this is some email from some, you know, executive at Burisma saying to Hunter Biden, thanks for the opportunity to meet your dad. And then there's also some like videos of Hunter Biden doing gross sex stuff. Uh, that's the scandal. That's what they've got. Are, are you blown away by this? Is this a big story? I hadn't even heard about this. Oh, yeah. This oh, is yeah. the story of the this is, the October, this oh, this is, is the October surprise. Oh, this is the October surprise. This is the October surprise. This is it. You heard it. There's an email from a B-list executive at Burisma to Hunter Biden. The email says, "Thank you, Hunter, for the opportunity to meet your dad." It doesn't say I met your dad. Who knows? Uh, and the hard drive um, was uncovered very coincidentally, I think, by Rudy Giuliani, who has deep ties into the computer repair shop community in Delaware. I will throw out there that there was a New York Times story a while ago that that the Russians had hacked Burisma. So, you know, I mean, it's possible. Maybe an alternate theory might be that, that, that you know, they hacked the hard drive and then gave it to Rudy Giuliani and that he didn't actually source it from a lo- the local rep- computer repair shop man in, in uh, Claremont. Yeah, so I'm just going to say really quickly that what you know Delaware is Claremont, right? What's the little town north of uh, north of Wilmington there? Christiana. No, it's not right. I'm going to look it up. I'm mad now. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Okay, but this is literally this town doesn't matter. With this entire story doesn't matter, and that is that is my point. Um, If Donald Trump leaning on an American ally, uh, offering a quid pro quo in order for him to investigate his most feared political rival, which got him impeached, uh, which led to uh, months of impeachment hearings. And the American people took one look at it and gave a collective yawn. And now people don't even bring up impeachment and the investigation, the Russia investigation, which dominated the news for the first two years of the Trump administration. People just, I mean, I wish they cared. I wish people cared about the rule of law. I wish people cared about all of the goings on of the Trump administration and its ties to Russia, but they didn't. And you know what else they don't care about? Whatever the heck this is. Like, it's just, it's too complicated. There's too many Russian and Ukrainian names. Like, no one, the Rush, the Ukrainian prosecutor, literally, no one in a focus group that I have ever done has been like, you know what? I'm really upset about Victor Shlokin. That, that name has never been mentioned. But you know what people do say is they just say, God, there's all this stuff with, you know, foreigners and Russia and I don't understand, you know, and blah. Like to them, it is all one big morass, which 
I mean, which Trump knows, and their goal is to just try to see if they can just like throw mud and smoke in that direction to see if it if it muddies them up. But like, that's not what this election's about, and it's just not what people care about. This is if this is their October surprise. Um, I was I was actually expecting something a little better. Well, but Miguel, if- I would like to just really quick. Um, do you? Were you aware, though? I, I understand Sarah's dismissal, but uh, the New York Post did report that this laptop had a sticker on it for Bo Biden's foundation. Yes. That's pretty convincing. Yes. Well, I know that most people, when they have a MacBook Pro that is on the fritz, they don't go to the Apple store in the Genius Bar. They go to their local computer repair shop as if it was 1988. <laughs> that is a thing that happens. Uh and and they leave their computers there with you know the guy, and the guy just runs and runs anyway. anyway. Uh, I would think I I, agree. I I do like to kind of fantasize a situation where this really happened, and I'm like imagining that Rudy, you know, kind of took the train down to Wilmington for a meeting. Meeting didn't turn up anything. Goes down to the bar, has six scotches, kind of a an old computer repair shop man sort of waddles over to him and is like, Mr. Mayor, you won't believe what I have. <laughs> I'm kind of trying to imagine the situation where this comes to pass. But so, but this story isn't for us and it isn't for voters. It's for Fox and for the conservative. I mean, this is synergy in a way. It is the New York Post creating a story that the Fox News Channel can discuss for the next three weeks, right? It is it is just content, vertically integrated content generation. And uh, all the people on Mad World News and on Facebook can talk about this. All the people who are already going to vote for Trump are going to sit and endlessly pick at this, and they're going to use it to convince themselves that he's not dead. And that's the purpose of this story, I think. The October surprise is really just to, meant to try to keep up the Potemkin vision of, see, things have finally turned around. Everything is going to be okay for us. Uh, And by the way, now's the time to join the Trump 1000 Club. And if you send us $35, (laughs) I'll send you this fake $1,000 bill, which is a real thing that the Trump campaign is doing right now. So I mean, that's what I I don't think this... And it allows them to neutralize, uh, you know, there's a little bit of feeling better about themselves in the conservative media too. Like we already have Ben Shapiro this morning tweeting that like, that this is like just as... You know, equivalent to the Don Jr. emails where the Russians offered him dirt before they hacked John Podesta's email. You know what I mean? So like, it allows them to kind of create this patina of like, oh, see, I, you know, both sides. I, I don't support the I don't support the corrupt one. Yeah. You know, they're both kind of corrupt. But uh, so, Sarah, can you talk about what the actual real voters are talking about? Because you did a focus group last night. Is that correct? I did, but I've done three since the last time we spoke. And so I'm going to kind of weave them Ooh. together. Um, and Zlochevsky was was mentioned over the course of the three. Can we just kind of transition it there? there? How many times was, did Zlochevsky <laughs> get brought up? No Ukrainians or Russian <laughs> names were brought up organically. Um, nor did I mention any. It just didn't seem top uh, of mind for people. And what about Where's Hunter? Did yeah. anybody come in with like a Where's Hunter sticker or anything N- like that? No, but here's the deal. I mean, like. I have never had a focus group in which somebody is, um, you know, deeply, uh, you know, enthralled by the goings on of any of this stuff. Now, what they do, what does happen, though, right? And this is this is something that I think Trump understands in his lizard brain with his low cunning is that 
a lot of these voters just swim in a cultural soup of Trumpism, right? They just they just exist in a media ecosphere with people who do listen to Alex Jones and with people who do follow this stuff. And so when people, so what they do is they just absorb the general, like, uh, just the, the smoke around, you know? And so what then, then what they, what, what comes out in the focus groups is a kind of equivalency. We're like, well, I know that Trump, you know, it was, weird what he did with the Russians but like you know I think Joe Biden also has some weird things and like the stuff with Hunter Biden doesn't sound good and it's just this it's incredibly top line but it gives people this sense of like I don't know who's worse and I will tell you last night it happened over and over again but it happens all the time and it is the thing that makes me the saddest and it underpins everything you guys were just talking about which is that people offer up when you just say You just ask the open-ended question, which is how I start every focus group. How do you think things are going in the world? How do you think things are going in the country? And people always say, I just don't know what to believe. They're like, I see this thing and I see this thing and I don't don't think the media is telling me the truth and um, I just don't know what to believe. And they just sort of feel, you know, um, bowled over by like the the ferocity of all the information that they're expected to compute and they they don't feel like they can you know they're getting a straight story from from the press and and there's all this stuff on social media and it, that is that is where that is the petri dish uh in which the I know I don't know how to extend this metaphor exactly but like the e coli of of these conspiracy theories are able to grow into something organic but but anyway um, last night specifically, what was interesting was this: these were t- all 2016 Trump voters. In fact, all of the groups, all three groups that I've done are 2016 Trump voters. But last night I did a non-college group. So I do a lot of college-educated uh, women groups. Um, this was a non-college-educated women group. And I actually expected, because unlike um, college-educated women, which are firmly breaking for Biden, um, the non-college white women are hanging in a little bit better. Like he's still winning about 60% of them. So I expected it to be a somewhat Trumpier group. Um, and you know, I, I get through my original questions, which are, how do you think things are going in the country? Which is everyone says always somebody uses the phrase shit show. Um, and you know, nobody thinks things are going well. People describe a lot of personal pain, a lot of personal struggles that they're dealing with. Um, you know, a a lot of people last night mentioned civil war, like more than one person. Um, there was a, like a genuine fear that was going on. Um, then I ask them all the same, you know, why'd you vote for Donald Trump in 2016? Everybody always says the same thing to this. I didn't vote for Trump. I voted against Hillary Clinton. Didn't like Hillary Clinton. Also, he was a businessman. I uh, thought he would do good things for the economy. It's always the same answer. Uh, about half the group had watched The Apprentice. Um, but Can I just really quick chime in on that point? Because it is what I'm upset. And I don't watch nearly as many of these focus groups as you. But everyone that I watch, somebody chimes in with that point. And I, and I do think that there's a lack of appreciation for how many voters did not did not actually vote for Trump because of you know many of his crazy policies and and a lot of the other things that people that people say that they voted for him for many of them like thought they were getting a business guy yes who was going to like cut good deals totally. and I, that that is always astonishing to me Wait, so totally. should Martin Sheen have run for president in the year two thousand because like he had been a super popular president on a TV show like would that have worked maybe that's stupid that might have worked. I'm going to say a thing that's not 
that's not great, but that I've come to believe, which is that I don't think that have would have worked on Dems the way that Donald Trump worked on the Republican base. Insert popcorn eating gif. Tell me why, Sarah. Um, Say it. And and you stop a second. I, first of all, let me just tell you, these were not all Republican voters, right? So um, a lot of, there is a, there is a lot of people who I would say are less engaged voters. You can call them low information voters who like care about the economy and want better jobs. And they were susceptible to this notion of the fake businessman. And like this, this idea that, you know, this carefully curated image of this guy who fires people on TV. I mean, somebody said it last night. He just seemed strong and decisive. You know, people went for that. And I don't think, you know, there's, it it was less about it's, it's non-college educated white people. Like that is who the base that's, those are the people that he turned out. Uh, And I just think that there was a group of people who don't normally participate in politics that he was able to turn out because they were there for that. Uh, And they were willing to vote Republican because that's the ticket he was running on. There's one other factor to that and we can just say it. And that is education levels. And it's just, I just said it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, but it is, is like, this isn't the story as simple as that, though. It's like less about information, really, than about education levels. And there's at this point, just a higher percentage of non of, of, of less educated voters in the Republican coalition. Can I can I, can I just go ahead, JBL? A little, little something here. The education is just a signal. The education level is not what matters. Uh, the education level is just signaling something else about native intelligence. Right. Oh, it, it isn't that it isn't that going to college for four years makes you smarter or it makes you better able to discern real information from the fact that like, oh, this is a TV show, not real life. Uh, it's that it happens to be a marker that people with slightly higher IQs wind up going to college at a higher rate than people with slightly lower IQs. This is just a fact. This is like just look at the SAT scores. Okay. Well, this is not. I'm going to say something. I'm sorry, Sarah. Go back. Continue. Uh, I will say this. that One of the things that I've observed over these hundreds of hours of doing this is like there is a lot of like nonlinear thinking that I think it's – you know, I've had a lot of reporters. Last night I had like five reporters on this focus group. But I, I've, I've, invi- I've been re- inviting reporters the whole time to observe non-linear this. Nonlinear thinking is the nicest, kindest euphemism <laughs> I have ever heard you use, Sarah. <laughs> well, just listen. Just listen. To, like this, Because I think that it's important for people to understand the way that – people make decisions like so and this isn't i'm going to tell you two stories but like one was the other night um not last night but on thursday when i was doing the focus groups that somebody said um there's a woman she did not like trump but he was doing a very bad job covid was a big deal for her but i was asking about people's reactions to donald trump getting diagnosed with covid and this woman said that the reason she was a Trump leaner. That the reason that she thought she was going to vote for Donald Trump again was because online she saw so many people wishing that he would die from COVID. So what's interesting to me about that is that her vote is being decided based on a bunch of people behaving poorly online and expressing, you know, unkind opinions. It is not about healthcare. It's not about who she thinks is best equipped to run the country. And she was very clear-eyed about Donald Trump not being well-equipped to run the country. It was because she was mad. And so like that is just, 
I can't, the, the extent to which I cannot underscore how little policy seems to matter to so many of these voters. Um, and spe- specifically, when people do say, they'll, they'll say something like, well, I just, look, I, they'll say, I don't like Donald Trump. I hate him. There's this woman who is saying this, young woman, and, um, and, and, and bright young woman, and is talking about how much she dislikes Donald Trump, and, uh, but she thinks she's maybe going to vote for him because she just thinks that Republicans' policies are better. And she said, mentioned the policies a couple of times. So at some point I followed up and said, what policy matters most to you? What is the thing that, that you care about? And she said, women's rights. And I thought, that is an interesting, that's interesting that, that your, your, your idea. The stripping of them. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it was. <laughs> did you ask her to unpack that? Uh, I did. And, and she was just, well, it was just like, that's what mattered to her most. And she knew that Donald Trump wasn't great about women. And like, and she did sort of like talk herself in a circle then. Um, but that was like, and I, so like last night too, I asked people what policies mattered most to them. And like several people said the environment, uh, everybody said healthcare. And when I asked them, whose healthcare plan they thought was better. Some people did express frustration that Republicans just have no healthcare plan, but they also expressed frustration with the Affordable Care Act. But like healthcare comes up more than anything else as like an organic thing that people care about. Given all the crazy shit that's happened the last few days, what were they saying last night? Like what, what, what in the news has caught their eye? So um, the debate, so it's, I, I was just um, texting with somebody who was asking me, like, was it, what What are people saying post-debate and post-COVID diagnosis? And I said, of the two big news stories that have happened in the last two weeks where we've seen Donald Trump's sort of numbers diving, and I've done three focus groups, it is clear that it is, the, that the debate was a much bigger thing and actually moving people's unwillingness to vote for him. Uh, than the COVID diagnosis. Because the way people, I mean, he both benefits from, uh, mostly benefits from actually, going back to an earlier point somebody was making about um, Mickey Rooney. Like the way that they treated the COVID diagnosis, everybody was like, well, yeah, he got it. Of course he got it. Like, like guy doesn't wear a mask. Guy doesn't take it seriously. Like, obviously he got it. But I hope he does. I hope he's doing okay. And it looks like he's bouncing back. And that's great. Like, it's a very just like, and like, and it's yeah, other people got it in the White House. And like, ugh, can't believe it. And it's just very like baked in. Like, it's just not one of those things that people say, now I'm not going to vote for him. Now, I will say on a, like a macro political level, him getting it. So I've been obviously I've been doing these focus groups the whole way along. There was this period of time in kind of later August, early September, where COVID really was receding. Like it just wasn't coming up as much as like uh, everybody's top line biggest concern. Um, but like now it is. And the reason is like he got it and the numbers are going back up and people are dealing with schools. And it's just like it. The worst thing for Trump was going into an election where uh, COVID was just dominating the imagination. And he literally, the only thing he had to change the, the conversation to was the Supreme Court pick, which by the way, no one in the focus group last night, like they could have cared less, weren't following it. Um, the even, even the Supreme Court nomination is now has the 
overarching narrative of COVID over it because her nomination was the super spreader event that led a bunch of Republican senators who like whether or not she passes has to has everything to hinges on whether or not all the Republicans are healthy enough to attend uh, the vote on her nomination. But I just want to I want to tell you like the biggest top line from last night that was important, which is I want to talk about it. And this is where I'll throw it to you. But Tim, I think you're going to like this theory that I have because it's a little bit of your hobby horse. So last night when I asked people that we shouldn't fall back, they also share my view that we shouldn't that we shouldn't do fall back and we should maintain on daylight savings time forever. Please tell me that's what the voters wanted. Yeah, that came up a lot. Um, so so they when I when I did the binary choice, I was like, OK, guys, elections tomorrow. You got to vote for Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Raise your hand if you're going to vote for Donald Trump. And every respondent just stared back at me. No one puts their hand up. No one's no one's voting for Trump. I asked how many are going to vote for Joe Biden. Uh, and four people put their hands up, although some people kind of like snuck them up, you know, whatever. Uh, they People do this or they like kind of do like a half halfsy thing uh, where they make a come see, come saw kind of motion with their hand. Uh, and. So and then so then I said, okay. And so I had so then there were three undecided, four Bidens, but then somebody, when I probed one of my undecideds, I said, So what what uh, are you thinking? And she said, Well, I've been researching Joe Jorgensen, who is the libertarian candidate. And as soon as the women heard that there was a third party candidate, like a libertarian, everybody was like, Ooh, well, maybe I'm gonna vote for her and I'm gonna do research into her. Okay, so uh, but what's funny about that is that in 2016, a whole bunch of people who couldn't vote, who didn't want to vote for either Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, ditched into third party. They went for McMullen or they went for Gary Johnson. They got between five and six percent of the vote nationally. It was a much bigger showing for a third party candidate, um, made a big difference in the race, an appreciable difference. All of the polling suggests that the third party people last time are going, are breaking heavily for Biden. But what's interesting is that the third party vote this time may very well likely be made up of Trump voters who don't want to vote for him again, but don't like voting for Democrats, uh, which is bad news for Donald Trump, like a third party shift in the direction of Biden. Um, And that was my that was my big takeaway. Tim, what do you think of that? Yeah. I, I, yes. I mean, here's the other thing is that we all talked about uh, Trump ceiling, ceiling, ceiling forever throughout the 16 primary and throughout the election is why he couldn't win. And like the truth was he did have a ceiling. It just was higher than we thought. And that um, in the general election, he benefited from this 6% of third party vote that allowed somebody with a, low, a lower ceiling to become the president. I mean, it's as simple as that. I mean, it's my hobby horse, but it's Stuart Stevens that has got that got me on it. I mean, it's, Stuart is exactly right. Like, there's all this other noise about what happened during the last election, but but Hillary's loss is like pretty simple to explain. Like the the black vote uh, did not maintain at at tw- at 2012 numbers, and the third party vote skyrocketed um, to you know skyrocketed. Um, you know, from 3% to six, but like, but doubled, you know, uh, and those two things kept her from being able to get to the number that she needed to win. I mean, Trump got a lower um, percent of the vote last time than Mitt did. And he, you know, he got beat pretty handily in 2012. And so, 
you know, these third party voters from last time do matter. And, and a big part of what we've been doing for RVAT, what I've been saying from the start is moving it, why it's called RVAT, not Republicans for Biden, is that moving Republican Trump voters from Trump to Joe Jorgensen is a win. That helps just as much as moving a McMullen voter to uh, Biden helps. So I do think that that's happening. I do think Trump has a ceiling and that it's it's one of the big problems for him as, as, as we look ahead. I, well, I, do we want to move off? Are we done with this or not? Do we want to keep talking about? Unless you have, que- unless you have questions. I, I think. It seems like a personal choice. Yeah. Too, yeah. Here, can uh, I, I'll just say one. I'll just say one other thing, yeah, which is. Say, um, say one other thing. Okay. Uh, which is that of the three groups that I did. One of them was sort of Trumpier than the other two. Um, but I think across the three, um, a majority of the people, and these are all 2016 voters, a majority are going to vote for Joe Biden. And then the rest, you know, there were some Trump leaners in one of them. Um, and, and maybe even some people who are like, yeah, I'm probably going to vote for him. Um, but like that to me, like Donald Trump's coalition was so fragile. His win was so narrow that just looking across all these groups that I've done, even just in the last six months, and the extent to which in every group, there is like close to half who are voting for or leaning toward Biden. To me, that suggests that there is no way he can pull a repeat of 2016. Whoa, I'm not there. So that that's a nice transition to what I wanted to talk about, because I think Trump probably got his worst poll of the cycle, if you can imagine that, this week. And it was a state poll in West Virginia. Would you guys care to... Wild and wonderful. Would you care to guess how much Donald Trump is up by in West Virginia right now? I saw this come by. I think it was like eighteen. Yeah, like yeah. Do you know what? Do you know what he won it by in twenty sixteen? Thirty, twenty eight, plus forty two. Oh, yeah, 40. so this is this isn't to say that he's going to win West Virginia, but this I look at this poll as a ratification of. It's not just this poll. Uh, I would say so. He's he had his poll numbers were lower in West Virginia through the spring and summer. He was at like plus 38, plus 35. So still measurably lower than he was in 2016. And then in the fall, they, the it dropped out. So his average in West Virginia is like plus 23. And the, the new poll was plus 18. This is a ratification of what we're seeing at the national level polls in terms of demographic splits. Because if it's true that Biden is doing much better with seniors, much better with college-educated white women, and much better in general with white working-class voters than Hillary Clinton did, then we were going to have to see that reflected in places like West Virginia, too. And West Virginia is a pretty neutral test case because it is literally the second Trumpiest state in the country, and neither of them are playing there. So it's a very homogenous state. Uh, demographically speaking. So you could, it it becomes very hard to explain away a Biden surge there by saying, well, this might just be intensity with black and Hispanic voters, something like this. Like it's just basically all white people. 
uh, and all white people who tend to be older and less educated than the national average. And so if you were looking to test, are the Biden national splits real? Then you would say, okay, well, then I ought to see some real Biden movement and some real Trump collapse in a place like West Virginia. And bam, there it is. Yeah, I I don't disagree with that. I look and to Sarah's point earlier, make at the end. Like I, I, I've always thought, not always, but lately the last few months, I've thought that Trump's path is is less about persuade. Is not about persuasion at all. It's about turning out, you know, a an insane number of working class white voters, unprecedented number, um, because there are so many more of those left in the pool who didn't vote and then combining it with, you know, some crazy, you know, we're not going to count a hundred thousand votes in Pennsylvania because the ballots are naked type crap. And and that is his path. And I, I think that he maintains that path, but that your point about West Virginia is spot on. And, and if Biden ends up winning by 10 or 11 or 12, rather than five or six or seven, that was his path because he cut into this, this working class white vote, this Appalachian white vote, which started to vote, you know, like Southern whites um, over the course of the past few cycles. Um, and, and, and that is why, and, and so I'll, I'll kind of make those two points and Sarah, you can decide which one you want to tee off on. Uh, uh, this gets into my biggest hobby horse at the moment, um, which is not the fake conspiracies or the third party vote, but which is the phony populism and how stupid the Republican Senate is to not give Trump a big $3 trillion bailout for these people like during the pandemic. I do not understand it. I will never understand it. I think it is the stupidest political move of my lifetime that Republican senators who, who gave Trump everything he wanted will are uh, for the first four years of his presidency, wait till the final month to finally say no to him and that the thing that they're going to say no to him on is giving help to families and businesses that are struggling amidst a once in a century pandemic. That's where they're going to draw the line. They're bringing austerity back one month before he, before the election. It is mind bogglingly stupid. And, and while, you know, maybe these voters aren't following like the day to day of the, you know, political back and forth in Washington to know that it's the Republican senator's fault. They certainly would have known if they would have got a daddy Trump check in the mail for two grand with Trump's big face on it and a big Trump Trump stamp on it um, in the last few weeks. And, and, and it was the whole reason for him, his whole reason to head Trump for being in this was that he didn't care about these old, you know, kind of conservative shibboleths. And now he's letting Larry Kudlow and the austerity crowd keep, you know, keep people from getting their populist Trump checks. It is mind bogglingly stupid. And I think that it is just one of the reasons that you're seeing, you know, Joe Biden, uh, uh, you know, continue to pick back up uh, some of those voters that that Hillary lost in the working class. Can I just say that this t- totally came up last night, and that people were super frustrated by it, and people were general specifically talking about. There's one woman who, you know, had nine month old baby and had said that she was trying to um, start a daycare business that she's just obviously not been able to do during COVID. And she was like, you know, we got some help early on. She's like, but there's just not been any more help. And like, they're not following the back and forths of Congress. They just know there's been no more help. That's what they know. Right. And like, that's what they're upset by. And it, but I'll tell you why, Tim, 
and this is this goes to something JVL says all the time that I think is 100% right, which is that do you know who Ted Cruz is going to vote for? Joe Biden. Like, or who he, if it weren't like, or if he didn't think he'd get caught, or like every anti-anti-Trumper who is on all of these news, the Washington, the Wall Street Journal editorial board, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden. And these Republican senators, they don't care about helping Trump right now. They're ready to cut this guy loose. Uh, but they're killing themselves. It is. Just really quick, no, I get your they they're killing They're killing Tom Tillis and Joni Ernst, though, too, right? Yeah, I have a question, Sarah. Do your voters put two and two together to see, so wait a minute, there's no help for us, but they're going to confirm Amy Coney Barrett? No. They don't They don't no. get that? Because this is the, the, the funny, I don't know if it's a tragedy or the comedy of the Trump administration, is that he's this fake populist norm breaker who ultimately goes and reinforces at a policy level all of the Chamber of Commerce, Country Club, Republican things, right? So the the Reformicons wanted a Republican Party that was much more attuned to the concerns of Main Street than Wall Street. And Trump comes in and says, uh, well, I'll just say all the racist stuff, <laughs> and that will make the Main Street people happy. And uh, but I'll just and then I'll make Goldman Sachs my cabinet. Right. And, I'll make them, and, and it turns out that he was right. See, that's that's what people don't. The final turn, uh, which is that the, the people like uh, Josh Hawley are going to find out that they think that Trump just had it backwards, that if he would just tone down the racist stuff and do populist policy, then that's the sweet spot. And they're going to find out that they're wrong that actually Trump's view of this is the correct one, that that is what makes the largest possible eh, Republican I, coalition. I want Sarah's thought on this, but I want a really quick caveat. I think that you are right when it comes to Republican <laughs> primary voters, but you are wrong when it comes to the general election. And that's what explains this West Virginia poll. Trump did hit in. These voters did think he was going to do populist policy stuff. They did think he was going to protect their Medicare and Social Security and you know do bailouts and all that sort of stuff. They didn't think he was going to do Wall Street policies, and he has. And I think it's hurting with the Obama-Trump types, Agreed. not with like the Republican primary voter crowd. I had a woman last night who was like, I want Barack Obama back. There's actually, it's funny, there's a lot of magical thinking that people engage in. Like, people are like, do you think that Barack Obama might come in at the last minute and and run? And I have to say, no, I'm sorry. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, Wait, are you I, serious? Oh, I'm a completely serious. about was the, this ma- in the, your, magical, the magical thinking is for, I hear it all Was this in your college-educated panel or your <laughs> non-college-educated panel, Sarah? It was in the non-college-educated panel. Oh! But... but I will just. Oh, you're the yeah, worst. No, I'm the heartless, terrible person talking about deplorables. Hey, yeah. listen to me. Hey, just listen. I did last week two college educated groups, and they went halvesies on Trump uh, between the two of them, right? There was a split. Plenty of them were going to vote for Trump. My non college group last night, not a single <laughs> one of them was going to vote for Trump because they had the good sense. No. Uh, and even though there was a look, even though there was a bunch of, listen, there was people. Who who wanted to talk about you know that there's a, I backed the blue and when it came to when I asked about George Floyd um, you know there were some all lives matter you know whatever these are people who you can see them being part of Trump's base but they're not willing to vote for him again because they think 
that I think to, to Tim's point, like the the cavalry has not come for them. There's been no help. That COVID has been mismanaged, uh, and you know, and they think he's a jerk. They think he's a bad person, and they're right. Yeah, uh, and to, to be fair, um, and I know it was me that made the point earlier that the college on college split is the difference. It is not a panacea, of course, because I did I watched the one college educated panel that Sarah is referring to. And and one of the craziest conspiracies came from somebody who said that they went to NYU. And I I wanted to like rewind. I wish there was a rewind. I wanted to be like, is that like North Youngstown University or <laughs> or like you went to New York? Like, and she was you know uh, sharing some of the craziest stuff of the whole thing. Political. So, I, I would. Uh, I will say. I'm not. Look, I am very open to the idea that I don't always get told the truth by people. And never have I doubted a statement more than I was a political <laughs> science major at NYU uh, from the particular respondent. That's interesting. Well, you know, it's, well, okay, we're at an hour. We should move on. Claymont was the uh, town north of Wilmington I was looking for earlier. Claymont, just as a fact check for for myself. I like to self-accountability here on the next level. I lived in Delaware for three years, but I've completely blocked it out of my memory. I don't remember any of the towns. Christiana? site of the best mall best mall in the state of yeah Delaware, they did have a good mall which i would know because i'm a jersey boy and i rank states by their malls <laughs> malls are very very important to me <laughs> and where does christiana fall as compared to the new Christi- jersey mall no king of prussia no king of prussia better better than king of prussia come on wow come on. i would say the christiana mall somewhere between echelon and cherry hill there's a little something for jerseyites okay. yeah you like that uh, no, I love malls. Are you guys not mall people? Because my no, entire was childhood no, was absolutely. spent in the malls. This is person. from the ages of 13 to 17. Every single Saturday was me being dropped off at the mall at 9 a.m. and then being picked up at like 8 p.m. And my buddy Chris and I just running around the mall uh, playing video games and buying CDs and comic books and stuff. Like it was my childhood. My adolescence was, was the best. I was intimidated by the mall. Uh, Park Meadows was the standard mall. And uh, it, was a, it was a good mall in ex-urban Denver. Uh, I was a little intimidated by the mall. Really? The mall kids. Yeah, the mall kids were a little cooler than me. Well, um, cooler than you. I can't imagine that. I know. I was, that. I was, yeah, I know. I know. But you know, hot topic. I go I didn't understand the culture. I didn't understand the mall culture. I'd look at a hot topic. I didn't, it didn't resonate with me at all. <laughs> can I, uh, can I tell you guys a little secret? What, uh, what my, my buddy Chris and I would do is when we got to the mall, because you know, like you're, you're always resource poor when you're like 13 or 14. And so you got to maximize, like, for instance, if you're on your own in the mall, and you want to spread your money out between the various arcades and comic book shops and record stores, then you got to, for food, you got to maximize your caloric intake per, per dollar. Hard. And we, Orange Julius, right? That's what you were No, getting. no. We, we hacked that system so hard. The best thing you could do is order a giant sheet cookie cake from the Great American Cookie Company. <laughs> because they were only like $10. And it had to be like 85,000 calories. <laughs> And so when we got to the mall, we would put in our cookie sheet cake order and then it would be ready right around a late lunchtime. And so we'd pick up the cookie sheet cake and then just sit in the food court and split it around two o'clock in the afternoon. And that would carry us through basically the whole day. Uh, That is an amazing mall story. I will say the thing that I recall about myself going to the malls, I, you know, when we were kids, you couldn't just like shazam a song right and so i had seen 
um, Reality Bites. And at the end of Reality Bites, there's a song by Lisa Loeb called Stay, which I had seen the movie once and very much wanted to find that song, but I had no way. So I went into the music store and I- Did you sing it to the record I to sing it to the clerk. <laughs> this is the song I'm looking for. Have you heard it? And of course, I don't- Kids, even- this is how we did things before the internet. We right. didn't have Shazam. We had to sing to the record clerk at the Sam Goody <laughs> and have him tell us what the song was. <laughs> there was no Sam Goody in Mechanicsburg or wherever the hell Tara is from. I don't, okay. I don't remember the name of the store, but I do remember that I was not able I was not able to communicate the song effectively enough for him to figure it out. I basically had to wait for the internet to get to find Lisa Loeb's stay. All right, guys, great show. Maybe our best show so far. If you are not yet joined up at Full Work Plus, you should go do that right now so that you can be with us next week. Bye, guys. Peace.